Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is back to work for federal employees with a big backlog of things to get done while they're waiting for their back pay. What do you say, everybody? Whoa, on a Tuesday. It is a big Tuesday, January 29. Coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day. Yes, indeed, the Bill Press Show. That's me. You are very, very much a part of it. As we start out with our, uh, in our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., reaching out to you wherever you are in this great land of ours. We're right there alongside of you, inside of you, on your, in your ear, on your face, on television, on the radio, and online. With the news of the day, what's happening here in Washington? Big day in Washington as the Roger Stone Circus rolls into town. Yes, indeed, it'll be Roger Stone in the center ring, in the big ring under the big top. Facing charges, uh, seven counts leveled against him by Robert Mueller, uh, which, of course, of, of conspiring between the Trump campaign and WikiLeaks to get out the dirt on Hillary Clinton. But, of course, the White House still insisting it has nothing to do with Donald Trump. It has everything to do with Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who is still holed up at the White House, although he made a little excursion over to the Trump Hotel last night, and still threatening to shut down the government yet again if he doesn't get the money for his stupid wall. All of that and more to talk about today. All of that and more for you to comment on. So get ready, get busy, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. All of that coming up, but first... 
This is the Full Court Press. All right, just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go down to Miami, Florida. This past weekend, the Miami Marathon happened, Bill. You didn't run it, I'm guessing. Uh, no, I no, missed I didn't that one. Yeah, yeah. I, missed, I missed the marathon. Well, the winner for the women's was Kate Landau. She won, and she won quite easily. She beat everybody by about eight minutes. Hmm. Her time was two hours, 37 minutes, 45 seconds. Except here's the thing. She confessed that during the race at around mile 20, she started to get a very upset stomach. And no. she had to duck into a porta potty to grow up. Well, when nature calls, oh, okay. Yeah. You have to take yeah. care of business. Well, so she was in there for a little while and still came out and beat everybody by eight minutes. Wow. So in the middle of a marathon, she took a potty break. Yeah. And then still came back and crushed the marathon. Good so congratulations yeah. to Kate Landau. Her time could have been a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. Whew. Let's go to Lafayette, Louisiana, where a nine a 911 dispatcher um, had to do a little bit of help. They train you to do all sorts of things when you're a 911 dispatcher. There was a fifth grade child who called 911 who said I had a really bad day at school and I'm very bad at fractions and I need some help with my homework. Oh. So the 911 dispatcher was not busy. They were not busy at the call center there. So she helped him out. The woman's name is Antonia Bundy. She helped the kid out. She helped him with his homework. She said that after it was all over, he felt a lot better about it. And his his day got a little bit better. And I, However, I, the police did point out. I also have, hope somebody has talked to him. The police yeah. pointed out, hey, we're happy that we can help you. This time. This time. Don't right. ever call 911 yeah. for homework right. help ever again. Hey, it's cold out there, Bill. How cold? It's so cold that Minneapolis <laughs> is expected with wind chill. It's going to feel like negative 60 degrees. Negative 60 degrees. In fact, all over the country, there are weather problems. Chicago is bracing for what they are say, what they fear could be the coldest temperature of the year uh, that they're going to see all year. Uh, in fact, they're saying that it could be the coldest temperature ever, uh, which happened on January 20th, 1985, when it was minus 27. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's cold out there. Bundle up. Bundle up. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, baby, it's cold outside. Yes, indeed, wherever you are, this great land of ours, maybe except Southern California, it is uh, record low temperatures. Hello, everybody. Here we go on a Tuesday, January 29. So good to see you today here on the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with all the news of the day. We'll tell you what's going on down at the White House. Not much. What's going on on Capitol Hill? Could be a lot today. And what's going on at the federal courthouse? Well, that's going to be very, very lively as Roger Stone makes his big first appearance uh, as a um, an indicted uh, well, facing charges. He's not yet indicted. He's not yet convicted. Uh, that's just a matter of time. What a circus that promises to be. So good to see you today as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
As we join you also and looking at you on Free Speech TV, welcome to the program. Thanks for being part of the program as well on radio, statewide in Indiana, on Indiana Talks, and uh, in Chicago and the greater Chicago area on the one and only WCPT. Thanks so much for being with us. Lots of uh, big stories to cover today and lots of good people to help us do it. Chris Catalago, who's a national re- uh, political reporter for Politico, um, following the Kamala Harris race, um, well, it's only been it's a week old, <laughs> but uh, following Kamala Harris, the buildup and the rollout, uh, Chris will bring us up to date on that. Jordan Fabian covers the White House for The Hill, great newspaper, The Hill, uh, briefing yesterday, the first briefing of 2019 um, at the White House. Jordan will bring us up to date on all of that. And then uh, Jackie Simon, who is from the American Federation of Government Employees on uh, what's happening with federal employees getting back to work and what happens on February 15 when this current temporary reprieve to the shutdown uh, ends on February 15. What can we expect back then? Uh, And with all of that, The other guests of the show, of course, are all of you. Thank you so much for being there. And we invite your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, about whatever we are talking about. Uh, Peter, you mentioned there just a little bit the cold, the cold, the cold. It is maybe three-quarters of the country uh, that's experiencing these record low temperatures as this cold air comes out from the west, hits the Midwest, where it has really just shut things down and uh, particularly going to impact and wallop the northeast United States uh, starting sometime today, later today. Yeah, it, it, it's it, coming. And by the way, it, it, it's, 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 this is one of those things like all over the country, like you said, yeah, except yeah. for maybe you know parts of California. Uh, the southern, southeastern United States as well as the northeast. Yeah. In fact, Brian Kemp, the, the new, go- uh, the new uh, governor of Georgia, was talking about how you know, the Super Bowl is this weekend in Atlanta. Yeah. yeah. And when uh-huh. Atlanta gets hit with, hit with snow, which does happen sometimes, it's bad news. Here he is talking about it. Obviously, it's very important because we have a lot of people that are going to be in town this week. Uh, we want to keep them safe. Yeah, so like they're already worried about what's coming to Atlanta. So um, you're talking about Chicago. All all of our good friends out in Chicago, man, I got to tell you, uh, it may get cold in Washington, but we're going to have enough. Maybe ten in Washington. That is tropical compared to what Chicago is facing. Uh, I've seen different estimates, but just put the, there are people in Chicago alive today who have never seen as weather as cold yeah. as they're going to see later today. Yeah. Um, because uh, the coldest, they think it's definitely going to, it keeps getting worse. They are definitely the coldest since January 18 in 1999. But then they say it could also be colder than 1985 when it was minus 27. Yeah. They expect it could go down to minus 50 degrees in Chicago. Dude, no. Minus 50. That would make Chicago Colder than the South Pole. Oh, great, great. Colder than Antarctica. Yeah, uh, but I can't even imagine what no, that I can't feels either. like. I can't either. Like I, I, I just can't the river, even. River Chicago River is frozen. Yeah, sure. Right? And uh, you imagine that wind, and then you add the wind whipping off that lake. Mm, man, I gotta tell you. No thanks. Imagine fifty below, right? I'm trying to think. Stay home. You know, like it, it will look, you know, here in DC, it'll occasionally get down to like a degree, right? Mm-hmm. Like one degree. It doesn't happen very often, but it happens. And 
That's very, very, very cold. Now imagine yeah. 50 degrees colder than that. <laughs> I No. No. Right. No. Um, yeah. I think we'll go to the South Pole for a little relief from the cold. I think we'll go to the South Pole to get to warm up. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Where are you going to be uh, taking your your vacation to get away from the cold? But, yeah, but imagine <laughs> Greenland people, people, a lot of people. If you're under 25, 25 or under, you, you have never experienced cold in your entire life, as you will, uh, as as these next case. So let's just hope we uh, bundle up and uh, and all survive it there. Yeah. Well, a lot of federal employees are hoping that they survive. Um, beyond the next um, 15 days, three weeks. Uh, and, and by the way, there are more and more stories out of the, uh, out of the Hill uh, where people talking to Republicans saying um, they're just not ready for another shutdown. So they may, as we talked yesterday, will they stand up to Donald Trump if he doesn't get his way again uh, because he hasn't changed one iota since reopening the government on Friday? But if he goes and wants to go down the path of another shutdown, will they stand behind him? Uh, that's a great big question mark. But one thing we heard yesterday, again, in the first briefing since 20 uh, of this new year, 2019, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the briefing was called again at the last minute. I wasn't able to get down there. I'd already made other plans. But uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, indicating uh, both at the same time that Donald Trump doesn't want another shutdown, but he's willing to do it. Here she is. The president doesn't want to go through another shutdown. Oh, no. Uh, that's not the goal. The goal is border security uh, and protecting the American people. The goal is not border security. The goal is Donald Trump's idea about the only way to get border security is to put to build what I keep calling his horizontal Trump Tower along the Mexican border, thus monument to himself, which uh, we've shown has been shown in so many ways to be ineffective, unnecessary, hugely expensive, and just a total waste of time and money. Uh, nobody except Donald Trump thinks a wall would work. We've already seen <laughs> examples of people tunneling under what fencing and what barriers are there right now, or even climbing over the top. Again, I saw some video in the news the other night of this lineup of immigrants at the so-called wall that's there right now, which Donald Trump is so proud of, these steel slats, and this lifting each other up and jumping over on the other side, hundreds of them. Does This wall is not going to work. Um, but Sarah Huckabee Sanders indicates, again, if he doesn't get his deal, then what's he going to do? He has not budged at all. He's threatening, again, they are threatening, another shutdown or emergency declaration. If they don't come back with a deal, that means Democrats get virtually nothing. Uh, that will make the president and force him to have to take executive action that does not give Democrats the things that they want. So this is a perfect time, uh, and the table has been perfectly set by the president in order for a good deal to come together where everybody gets a little bit of something they're looking for. But, you, you know, they, they get caught in their own rhetoric down there because they're trying to blame it all on Democrats. At the same time, every time Donald Trump talks— he brags about it's his shutdown. Every time. Every time, right? So while well, well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the other sir, well, it's the Democrats' fault. They won't they won't compromise at all. Uh, it's the president who's laid this wall on everybody, Republicans and Democrats, as his unconditional um, 
factor, the unconditional factor in any discussions or negotiations, uh, and he's proud of it, and he doesn't deny it. And so he undercuts his own, uh, the, the message his own team is trying to get out there. Uh, it, look, it's too late to blame this on Democrats. The American people know who's responsible for this shutdown because Donald Trump said he wanted it. And now that we're over the first one, all he's doing is a very, very, as we pointed out yesterday, the very, very same things. He is still saying $5.7 billion for the wall or we'll shut down the government and or we'll do an emergency declaration. No movement whatsoever. Um, that has had a little bit of um, impact on the polls, by the way. Uh, the latest polls showing that Donald Trump is now at 37% approval. You know, he's not been over 50. Is that bad? 37. 37. Bad. Um, Bill Clinton was 64% around this time. Yikes. Yeah, almost double. Uh, so uh, the point is, you know, when you look at 2020 and all these people jumping in, one of the reasons they are is because Donald Trump really is starting to look very, very vulnerable, having accomplished nothing except a big tax cut, which we learned yesterday has done nothing to stimulate the economy. Not one thing. Not one thing. So that's the only thing he could brag about except that he can't. Uh, and his approval rating, for the most part, with very, very few, has been under 40% where it is right now. Under 40%. There's not been a president reelected with an approval rating under 40%. Not going to happen. Yeah, I just don't see how the math works. On yeah, that. everybody says his base is base. Yeah, well, guess what? His base is going to get him, you know, a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Well, well, you if know, Howard Schultz will allow it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, when we talk about his base, we, we spend a lot of time, not just on this show, but just as, as Democrats and progressives, wondering what it's going to be to get Donald Trump's base to break with him. Nothing. And won't happen. I, I think that's for the most part true. Although I think that this slippage, you know, I think erosion. that this loss on the wall is going to hurt him. It's not going to be the end of his presidency. It's not going to be the end of his support from the base. But look, he went so far out there on the wall, and he's not going to get it. He's not going to get it. But they will blame it on Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, I hear you. They'll blame it on Nancy Pelosi. I don't think. But also, uh, maybe more telling in the latest poll. Uh, this is an ABC poll. I quoted with a 37%. Only 35% in that ABC poll, ABC Washington Post poll, just out, expressed confidence in Trump to make the right decisions for the country's future. 35%. Flip that around. 65% of yeah. Americans have no confidence in the President of the United States making the right decisions. So why keep him? Right? Get the, get the hell out of there. I would. You know, I hope we can do it before uh, twenty twenty. But at least twenty twenty, we got the we got the opportunity. Um, so he is looking more and more vulnerable. And again, um, Donald Trump has decided this is his focus. This is his obsession. This wall is his white whale. Man, he's doing nothing but this. We mentioned yesterday on his schedule. Yesterday there was one one item: lunch with the vice president. Today. This is the president of the United States. The government is reopened. There is Venezuela. There's Afghanistan. There's climate change. There's health care. I mean, you name it, right? Donald Trump has not one event on his schedule today. 
schedule totally free so he can tweet and watch television or watch television and tweet. That's the, that's the order of business. Not one item on his schedule. You, you think about think <laughs> about all the presidents. But, that and that's been the way it has been for the last 35 days. Yeah. His schedule's been totally free except maybe a meeting about border security. One meeting. One lunch with Mike Pence, which he does like three times a week. Think about all the presidents that have come before Donald Trump and what they've had to do, even if it's just yeah. for optics, even yeah. if it's just for optics, right, to get out there and show people that you're actually engaged, that you're working, that you care, that you're concerned about the country. I, mean, I remember with Obama, we would get in a whole day oh schedule by the half hour almost. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then they still would have a briefing every day. <laughs> Trump is, boom. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in my jammies up in my bedroom watching television. Don't bother me. Yeah. Tweeting from the toilet <laughs> <laughs> and getting back in bed to watch cable news. <laughs> and Right. And there he is. Uh, meanwhile, on the 2020 front, man, things are popping all over yesterday. Um, Kamala Harris on a roll uh, announcing Monday, yesterday, a week ago, on Martin Luther King Day, uh, on Good Morning America, came down here to Washington to Howard University, did a great job there, uh, had her big rollout in front of a huge crowd, 20,000 people in Oakland, California, on Sunday. Yesterday, she goes out to uh, Iowa uh, with a big ta- on a big town hall with uh, Jake Tapper and CNN uh, last night. Um, she has... Uh, you know, somebody said, well, you know, how can Democrats elect somebody who's been a criminal prosecutor, who's been the district attorney? Um, Kamala Harris says, I'll put my record up. Here she is. Behind the scenes, I'm going to tell you, I, I compare my record to any prosecutor, any elected prosecutor in this country in terms of the work that I have done to reform the criminal justice system. And indeed, in that uh, she was a tough ass prosecutor. Uh, put a lot of people behind bars at the same time. She did a lot. She and Jerry Brown both did a lot toward criminal justice reform in California, uh, letting people out of prison who were there uh, only there on nonviolent drug charges and reducing uh, penalties and time served for nonviolent crimes. So she'll point to that. Kamala Harris also yesterday picked up um, big endorsement. The first member of Congress uh, to endorse any presidential candidate, our friend Ted Lieu, often a guest in studio, came out and endorsed Kamala Harris. So, that's a little. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, and he's a he's a way out progressive, Ted Lieu. Yeah, member of the Progressive Caucus. I talked to him last week when I was down there for the Progressive Caucus. So, um, so anyhow, I'd have to say among the people that are out there right now, Kamala Harris is, uh, has had the best rollout and getting the best most positive publicity, and looks the strongest among the field. Compare that to Howard Schultz, <laughs> the other guy that's getting, listen, can we just say this right now? Howard Schultz, go away. Go away. Just get lost, right, as if you're going to run as an independent. I want to make that very clear. He's been a very successful. I saw the, he took over Starbucks. He's no longer the chair, CEO, but he was for 30 years. He took over Starbucks when they had 11 stores. Wow. Now they have like 35,000 stores worldwide, right? So yeah, I mean, they're one of the most popular 
chains. Yeah, and in the yeah, world, that's, which is one reason I don't like them. But <laughs> but still, fair. totally you fair. Gotta, you got to say he's a hugely successful businessman, and and I'm sure he's got great executive skills and everything. But and and if he wants to run as a Democrat, I say God love you, God bless you. The water is warm. Jump in. The more, the better. Uh, and uh, I. I pretty sure that, uh, I mean, he calls himself a centrist. That's not me. You know, he wouldn't get my vote in a primary, but he'd get a lot of votes in a primary as a Democrat. That's the problem is he's saying he's going to run as an independent. And you run as an independent, you can ju- all you do is screw things up. Look, look at the, look at the independents that we, in, in our lifetime or not that long. Ross Perot in 1992 it has got 17% of the vote. Ross Perot succeeded in electing Bill Clinton president of the United States. To which I say, thank you, Ross Perot. But that's not what a lot of Republicans thought at the time. In the year 2000, look at Ralph Nader. Al Gore would have been president of the United States, absent the Supreme Court. Yeah, right. But the Supreme Court would not have gotten involved at all if it were not for Ralph Nader. Ralph Nader elected George W. Bush president of the United States. Howard Schultz could re-elect Donald Trump. Michael Bloomberg warned about that uh, yesterday, and so did a lot of others, and me included, uh, because it's impossible. Look, as an independent, it's impossible to be on to get on the ballot in all fifty states. Never happened. So you can't win. Michael Bloomberg looked at it. Remember even. Donald Trump, early in the primaries, Donald in in 2015, Donald Trump was saying, even into 2016, Donald Trump was saying, if the Republican Party won't have me, I I may run as an independent. It was another one of those empty, bogus Donald Trump threats. But he looked at it, and he came to the same conclusion. You can't win as an independent. That's why he didn't run as an independent. That's why Michael Bloomberg's not going to run as an independent. Howard Schultz doesn't get it. I, I have but to say, you can suck votes from the Democrat. And by the way, also just one: you won't get in the debates. He will not right. be part of any of the debates. Right. It's an idiotic idea for him to run as an independent. I, I just have to say, Howard Schultz is doing one thing uh, on uh, social media, on Twitter, where he is uh, tweeting. His he is taking the the ratio. To a whole new level. And by that I mean he tweeted out, I love our country and I am seriously considering running for president as a centrist independent. 3,800 people retweeted that. 45,000 people replied to that tweet. And what are some of the replies that he's getting? Uh, Let's just read some of them. Man, you should actually do literally anything else. Somebody else says, shut the F up. Someone else says, F off. Someone else says, the day he officially announces is the day I start to boycott Starbucks. Uh, It's on and on and on. Nobody wants him to run. And um, Howard Schultz uh, found that out maybe uh, uh, also uh, yesterday when um, he's got a book out, of course, uh, appeared at a Barnes & Noble in New York last night. He's making his pitch, and uh, at least one person in the audience doesn't doesn't want to hear it. I am seriously considering running for president as a centrist independent. And I wanted to clarify the word independent, which I view uh, merely as a designation on the ballot. 
And Don't what, help elect Trump, you uh, egotistical billionaire a- <laughs> Was that you, by the way? Don't <laughs> Did you go to New York? elect Trump, you egotistical billionaire a-hole. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so uh, the guy goes on, the heckler won't give up. Go back to Davos with the other billionaire elite who think they know how to run the world. That's not what democracy means. Go back to Davos, right? Go back to Davos. Hey, I hope that heckler gets to the Democratic primary. Okay, here's what it reminds me of. And if you read my book, From the Left, you know the story. But way back in 2014, when I first talked to Bernie Sanders about the rumor that he was thinking about running for president, and Bernie sat me down in his office, just the two of us, and told me what he was thinking, that he really wanted somebody to run who would put the progressive ideas, make sure they were front and center in the 2016 primary. And if nobody else would do it, he was thinking that he might do it. And my first words to Bernie was, Bernie, I, I, you know, I, love, I don't know whether I said it that way, but you know, I'm, I'm with you on the policies all the way. Here's my fear. My fear is that you will run as an independent, because he was an independent, and just take votes away from whoever the Democratic nominee is going to be. The same fear that I, that I have about Howard Schultz. And I expressed that to Bernie Sanders, and Senator Sanders said, I will never do that. He said, word for word, I will never be another Ralph Nader. I will do not do anything that will make it more difficult for a Democrat to run for the White House. And in fact, he ended up running as a Democrat. This time, if, or I should say, when Bernie Sanders jumps in, yes, he went back to being an independent. This year, he will run as a Democrat. That's what Howard Schultz should do. Uh, There's one other candidate I guess we have to at least mention. Uh, It was reported yesterday by Politico, I believe, um, I forget who broke this story, that um, in the last few days, Hillary Clinton has told three different people, I'm not closing the door on this. Oh, my God. Yes, Hillary, please close the door. Or let me put it this way. Hillary, take a look. We have closed the door. Love you. Love Bill. Your time is go. Thank you for everything you've done for this country. Your time has come and gone. That door is closed. Closed. Okay. Don't even tease it. Closed. And finally, Joe Biden says uh, he is uh, going to make a decision very soon, he says. Meanwhile, a couple of other quick news. So we'll talk more about the 2020 uh, with uh, Christopher Catalago from uh, Politico. Uh, particularly, as I said, he's been covering the uh, Kamala Harris uh, build-up. was very successful so far. Uh, the uh, acting attorney general surprised everybody yesterday by saying, uh-oh, we may have an end to the um, the investigation very soon, sure, the Mueller investigation very soon. Um, I hope uh, he talked to Robert Mueller about this before he said it. But right now, you know, the investigation is, uh, I think, uh, close to being completed, and I hope that we can get the report from Director Mueller as soon as we as possible. Well, I hope they don't rush it. They leave him time to finish the report, but if he's finished, he's finished. There are also rumors that at least one more person is going to be indicted uh, before they wrap up 
Uh, but they still didn't get to uh, Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, or Donald Trump himself. So far as we know, at least publicly, they haven't dropped any charges. So I hope they don't wrap up yet. Uh, and we do know now that we're going to hear from Michael Cohen. Uh, he was going to testify next week, remember, in front of the House Oversight Committee publicly. He put that off because of threats, he said, to his family, uh, himself and his family, from Donald Trump and associates. But he has agreed to testify privately next week in front of the House Intel Committee, the House Intelligence Committee chaired by uh, Adam Schiff. So uh, that, that, that process... Uh, that rolls on and on and on. Hear more from him. I have to say, uh, just as a, a fan of the theater of it all, I am a little upset that it's not going to be uh, on all I the TVs. I am too. Yeah. But I still think this is going to be a big deal. Oh, yeah. And also, I count on our friends. There'll be a lot of leaks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't you know it. <laughs> right. And again, uh, have we seen uh, Kamala Harris... Do we see already the Democratic nominee for president? Chris Calago joins us from Politico. Coming up next here on the Bill Press Show this uh, Tuesday, January 29. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. How about it on a Tuesday, January 29? Hello, everybody. The Bill Press Show, keeping you warm in the middle of all of this cold. <laughs> With all the news of the day, uh, particularly a lot um, on the uh, 2020 front, as well as on the uh, temporary reopening of the government, uh, where uh, Donald Trump is saying, if I don't get my way in the next fifth, uh, uh, three weeks, I'm going to shut down the government all over again. Will Republicans in Congress let him do it? Good to see you. I look forward to hearing more of your comments on Twitter at BP Show. And we welcome to the program. Christopher Catalago from Politico, who's uh, one of their big national political reporters. Uh, and with <laughs> this far in advance, still a lot of activity on the 2020 front. Hey, Chris, it's good to see you. Yes, you as well. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming in. Before we move forward, let's take a quick look back at what we've been talking about so far. Yes, Peter. indeed. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Let's start, first of all, with a poll we put up yesterday. Will we have another shutdown in three weeks? The votes are in. 63% yes. of you say yes, there will be another shutdown. 37% of you say no. Some comments on that. Joseph uh, voted in it, but he says he wants to be clear. He voted no because... Trump has not learned. Uh, he said, I voted no, but I want to be clear. I don't think no because Trump learned anything. Far from it. I think no because there's just no way that Mitch McConnell goes down this road again. Again, uh, Deanna says, this time, let's cut off the pay to the Senate and the Cabinet. Uh, that's a good idea. We'll see if that— Hard to do since they've already uh, passed a yeah. bill. Uh, they, they, notice, they passed a bill making sure— they would get paid before they shut down the government. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also got some comments on Howard Schultz. We're about to start talking about uh -huh. 2020. David says, we don't need any more billionaire dilettantes dabbling in people's business. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, and Luna says, controversial statement here. Not one that I disagree with, though. Why do candidates have to waste so much time in Iowa? Iowa gave us Chuck Grassley, Joni Ernst, and Steve King, for God's sake. <laughs> Very good question. Uh, if you have a comment on any topic at any time, you know where you find us. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at B. 
P. Show. By the way, one other quick comment from my man she Romaine. Is preaching to the choir Amen. on that one, man. Amen. Yep. Bounce Iowa. I've I've been working at that for a long time, but I want to mention happen. one other comment from our buddy Romaine, who's in Chicago. We talked about oh, how yeah, cold about it's going to be there. Right. Romaine says we will just push on. One thing about Chicago is we don't stop for anything. Certainly not the weather. So they're not scared of the weather in Chicago. Well, I am to be clear. <laughs> I'm not going to go in that weather. Uh, they're used to it. Right, but again, it, it they may be facing the coldest temperatures ever recorded uh, in Chicago, even down to fifty below. Oh man! So um, the candidates, Chris, twenty twenty candidates, won't be going to Chicago anytime soon, right? I wouldn't expect so. No, no. but you've just been out of Harris. I've got to say, you know, we've seen Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Julian Castro. Um, who else is out there for sure? John Delaney, uh, I guess five so far. Others talking about getting in. Of those who've gotten in, Kevin Harris took off like a rocket. Huh? Yeah, this was all um, part of the plan. I think they wanted this sort of big rollout. They uh, started it on TV. They've kind of had a slow drip of developments. One of the big things with her was a question of uh, small dollar donations. Could she match Warren? Could she? Ma- could she? Get to where Bernie was with uh, with mm-hmm. the small, you know, under two hundred and fifty dollars. Right. And she, uh, I think, twenty four hours into the campaign, announced that she'd raised uh, one point five million dollars, which uh, was basically essentially what Bernie had raised in the first twenty four hours of twenty fifteen. Right. Um, when he got in the race, so that I think uh, showed people it was sort of a demonstration of uh, of early strength and also uh, uh, organic interest among people. You see that on social media too. Some of these people, you wonder, what's their constituency? Who's really behind them? You were talking about Howard Schultz, right. huge question. Yeah. Mike Bloomberg, some of these people, uh, she showed early on. And then, uh, of course, the speech was a, you know, very symbolic um, in a lot of ways, um, a way to uh, um, get interest, very smartly planned on a Sunday afternoon, not a lot going on on the cable networks. I, I, I think we reported that all three uh, of the big, Cable networks carried it in its entirety, which is really rare these days. Wow, wow, yeah. And she's got a great personal story to tell. Right? I mean, she's um, African American woman, but her mother was Indian. 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 Yeah. She was a cancer researcher, and they met at uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, her parents, when they were both graduate students, her father is uh, economist, mm-hmm. um, and um, he uh, he was from Jamaica. His family is right. from Jamaica. And so, yeah, she's, uh, you know, born and raised in California and then, of course, went into law enforcement, which she uh, often right. says had to go defend to her own family uh, like you would, a, you know, a thesis. This was not a sort of a she's been dealing, you know, we know now she's dealing with this question of her record in law enforcement uh, for her. She's. It's, Kind of, she's been dealing with it, with it her whole life. Why? Why would you want to be a prosecutor? Right. right. She's. Uh, th- she spoke about that last night mm-hmm. uh, to Jake Tapper on CNN, saying, "Yeah, she was basically saying, yeah, she was tough on criminals, but she also did a lot on criminal justice reform." Here she is. Behind the scenes, I'm going to tell you, I I compare my record to any prosecutor, any elected prosecutor in this country, in terms of the work that I have done to reform the criminal justice system. So that's uh, that that's that's her yeah. the case that she will make. Right? Yeah, I mean, well, let in raw political terms, this is 
she's not going to back away from something she's done for 30 years. I mean, she right. has yeah. to really get behind her own record on these things. But I also think, you know, part of what she's saying is certainly true. I mean, the where we are in terms of how people view uh, prosecutorial offices, attorney um, um, uh, is further along than we were 10, 20 years ago. And so, you know, when she was in San Francisco, she started this anti-recidivism program in the in the jails, which right. were meant to sort of get let allow people to re-enter society. She did the same thing in L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, she had written a book. I don't know if you remember back in '09 when she ran for attorney general, mm. called "Smart on Crime," which was really meant to sort of start a lot of that conversation. So for people to come in now, I think it'll take some familiarity with her record. There's going to be things people don't like. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't like the fact that she was hard on. Uh, right. parents on on the issue of uh, school truancy you know nowadays people think kids are going to do what they're going to do and the parents shouldn't be punished for it and so and and of course you know her office pursued uh defense of the death penalty even though she herself right. has said she's always been personally opposed to it so um she goes to south carolina this weekend i believe is it she um we're going to have to see i mean she so she did a, a very brief stop in south carolina uh, last Friday, and, and that was important, I think, because that's going to be a really big state for her. They're going to spend oh, a lot okay. of time. Okay, maybe it was last weekend. Yeah, yeah. they're going to spend a weekend. lot of time on South Carolina. I know you have your thing on Iowa. I would I would say Iowa would be sort of <laughs> in the early states, very early states, sort of the secondary um, place where they focus. New Hampshire, a little harder. You know, you have the New England candidates uh, right. like Bernie and, and, and Warren. So she is in, yes. uh, not yet in, but also but making a lot of noise, is uh, Howard Schultz. I noticed this morning Eugene Robinson in the Washington Post has a column saying basically, get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gail Collins in the New York Times has a column about Howard Schultz, get out of Dodge. Uh, several people yesterday, Mike Bloomberg came out and said it's impossible to win as an independent. Yeah. But particularly among, among, there are a lot of Democrats who are saying the last thing we need is Howard Schultz running as an independent? Mm-hmm. Um, does he have the resources and the team and the skill to actually make it as an independent? I mean, I don't know if anyone does. That's the question. The, the The most important thing. I think that, the answer is nobody yeah. does. Yeah. The but, most important thing. So I heard. What is he thinking? I heard. Uh, you know, Joe Manchin on. Uh, you know, very much someone who would espouse some <laughs> centrist views, right. saying that if anyone can make the determination that this is impossible, it's Mike Bloomberg, who I think he spent millions researching whether yes. an independent could run. And he came out yesterday and said it's impossible. Well, uh, I, as I pointed out earlier, too, Donald Trump, yeah. I remember in the primary, he kept saying, hey, if you don't treat me well, you know, Republicans don't want me, I'm, I may run as an independent. You know, yeah. He threatened to do it. He had people look at it, I'm sure, and come to the conclusion, same conclusion. Yeah. Can't do it. So he's uh, he's got Steve Schmidt, who uh, was the McCain of McCain yeah. fame, uh, who has become kind of a favorite of uh, pro- some progressives and some liberals on MSNBC for yeah, sort of his right. straight talk on so he's working left with the Schultz? party, uh, left the Republican Party. Yeah. And yeah. then on the other side, uh, Bill well, Burton, who right. was an Obama uh, spokesman and then went into the into the white uh, you know campaign person and then went into the White House for a couple of years and a great guy and a good friend he was deputy press secretary yes. um, people thought that he might move up when Robert Gibbs mm-hmm. moved down but he didn't Jay Carney got the job instead exactly. uh, and Bill's been with um, the big public relations firm Knickerbocker Knickerbocker yeah right right 
uh, and now with Howard Schultz. I guess so. that's what you do when you're an independent. You go get you know a couple big names from the left and the right. It's sort of a symbolic thing that you know you're not picking consultants and strategists from one party or the other. But clearly, a lot of people see, and I see it this way too, that all he can do is help elect Donald Trump. I mean, Jeff Tubin last. In fact, we have a Jeff Tubin from uh, from uh, CNN was talking about this, basically saying that um, Schultz is a, is a gift to Donald Trump. Here he is. These guys, they, they're billionaires, so they think they can do anything. And, you know, and one thing he could do is hand the re-election to Donald Trump. And now he has the support of Bill Burton, one of Barack Obama's close aides from early in the first term. Mm -hmm. And the one thing we know about billionaires is they make political consultants very rich. <laughs> they do that indeed. <laughs> But they uh, don't necessarily get elected president. Especially. Even as I pointed out, because I went through this myself, not to run, but when I was de California Democratic chair looking at the states, just getting on the ballot in yeah. all 50 states is a huge hurdle. Yeah. Well, we know he has the money. He's got the resources to do it. He can hire any number of people. He's not going to get the cream of the crop in the Democratic Party. He might get some folks from the Republican Party that have defected from Trump. Uh, we know he said he plans to make a big push to get on the ballot in all 50 states if he, right. if he runs. Um, you know, he seems to be convinced, based on the comments I've, I've read and the things that his consultants have said, that uh, he's using this argument that the Democratic Party has drifted too far to the left and that there's some sort of opening um, – these things just always sound so theoretical to me, right? Yeah. You go out there and you, you do a search on Twitter. How many, you know, bleeding heart independent centrists are you going to find? It just, especially in this day and, age, day and age that we're in right now, it seems to actually be the opposite being true. Uh, you know, I, I find it uh, particularly jarring when we're just coming out of a midterm election where basically running as progressives with a progressive message. The Democratic Party elected 40 new members to the United States House, right? I think it's pretty clear where the party's got to be and where the party will be in 2020. And then you've got a Howard Schultz saying, well, you're going too far to the left. Well, I don't know. It's working. It's yeah. working, right? It's hard. There's still a... I mean, one of the most popular Democratic politicians out there right now is... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And who's farther left than she is? You know? Yeah. I can't think of one. Not even me. Right. <laughs> right. No, right. Uh, let me ask you about so some of the other people. First of all, Elizabeth Warren mm -hmm. um, has certainly more name recognition than Kamala Harris yes. did, I think, coming in. Um, and um, her rollout was, you know, I thought, pretty weak. But she's been out there. Uh, her, her thing seems to be people want a nerd, right? Uh, that seems I'm going to be, nerd you out. She's going to go deep on policy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and and on her rollout, you know, she is one of the is early ones who... She's also, by the way, good in front of a crowd. I she mean, is. She's not boring. I was thinking a lot about that. She, you know, what she, better uh, focus group? Kamala Harris has the sort of jury box as her focus group. And Elizabeth Warren has a big classroom of, you know, engaged students that she taught mm -hmm. for so many years. So... She should be, and and obviously is engaging. When I've seen speaker. her, when yeah. I've seen her on her feet, I mean, she's spectacular. Yeah, she really is. And I think, I mean, to her credit, she came out and did this exploratory committee, which is a little different than, right. than what Harris did. Yeah. So I, yeah. I could envision her once she gets in 
doing or, or trying to um, sort of match that kind of in-person excitement with a rally in Boston or something like that. So we'll see. I mean, she's she's obviously tried to get in there, and I would I would sort of look at it like trying to solidify uh, the folks who should be with her early on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she did she's done a New Hampshire trip. Uh, she she did a really sort of interesting discussion in South Carolina on. Uh, getting into the weeds on things like redlining, and, yeah, and that's you know the one speech I saw, right? yeah, yeah, and so um, you know I think this is a way to really kind of show who she is, but also kind of lock down um, you know her core constituency early on before she starts branching out more into the generalities, which is Harris has been more in the generality side of things. I mean, she's just sort of introducing herself, right. not getting into the weeds on things. Uh, Warren, of course, you know, more experience, been out there longer, been in the Senate longer. So uh, just a different approach early on. Uh, in terms of a nod to progressives, Kamala Harris last night in the CNN town hall did come out for Medicare for all, mm-hmm. uh, including getting rid of private insurance companies, getting them out of the business altogether, which is basically what Medicare for all is all about. When you say right. it in those terms, it, it, it people who aren't familiar say, oh, you know, it, it, it does seem different that Medicare for all is, you know, has become sort of this. It has, right. Yeah. And I think they should have called it that in the beginning instead of single payer yeah. because people know Medicare yeah. and, and, and recognize that it's a very uh, effect, cost-effective uh, and important program. Um, so how long, how soon will Bernie and Joe Biden be jumping in? Or do you have Bernie any doubt, seems a little more doubt both of them will, will, will run? You know, Biden is such a family decision. Um if if there are any doubts, it seems like there would be a, a a few more there. Bernie, it just seems like a it's been a matter of time. You know, you talk to his yeah. Folks we expected him. it last weekend for some reason. I mean, there's a lot. I of, saw a lot of the a lot of about buzz. That. A lot of yeah. chatter. I was getting emails from people all over saying, "What's going on? Are you there? And you know, when's it going to happen?" And I'm you nothing. know, both of them are an interesting question because you have Biden who. In some ways, it's kind of a little bit in this position like Hillary Clinton was when she was in the State Department. It's sort of like, you know, their their poll number people start to their poll numbers creep up, and they're viewed as this, you know, this popular uh, person who you know has contributed and and done this and that for whatever their records might be. You know, then you jump into the race, and it just all of these things that have been out there, and and all these comments he's made, and and, and the whole question of having a fresh face. Bernie also, I don't, I don't know. I mean, where does his support go? Does, does, do people stay with him this time around? Does that kind of splinter? You know, you talk about Beto O'Rourke is out there. That's another big question. You know, um, and so I don't know. I, I, you know, I still think Bernie comes in with a lot of advantages that people aren't necessarily talking about right now. He's got a lot. He's got a sort of machine in place. He's got a lot of things that he can, you know, in much it, more recent years turn to and turn on that is that is real he certainly starts off a lot stronger than he did the last time yeah. around and maybe stronger as you point out than anybody else running mm-hmm. because he does have a built-in organization a built-in following sure some have fallen away but there's a core there yeah that will be for bernie from the get-go they're they're they're, they're pushing for him to announce really fast and he certainly he still has the he's got the mailing list yeah from last time around, he does. What was it, three hundred and twenty-five million or whatever he raised? Yeah, it surprised but. me. A lot of people out there, you know, they voters have been in a lot of ways become kind of pundits on their own 
uh, and, yeah. and they're all talking about, you know, who could win, who could beat Trump. And so I wonder how much that's going to factor into people's views. They might really I, like Bernie. They might really like, you know, Biden. But I don't know. You know, I guess that's the question. I think the number one question we've talked about this often mm-hmm. on the show is um, because everybody's going to be maybe with the exception. Well, Schultz is not running as a Democrat. Yeah. Everybody's going to be left of center. So it's going to be their shades of progressive progressivism. And I think the key question then is, who can beat Donald Trump? Who's got the best chance of beating Donald Trump? And whether it's he's a little right, you know, closer to center or more left, uh, I think who's got the best message, who's got the best organization, who can beat Donald Trump? Yeah. This, that pragmatic decision, I think, is, going to, is what Democrats are looking at. Yeah, and I think they're all factoring that in early on. I mean, that you could, that explains a lot of what Harris is doing. She there's no coincidence she's got all the red, white, and blue bunting around her her speaking. I mean, they're trying to sort of in have allow people to envision that this is someone who could stand up there. You might not have thought that two years ago. Right. Uh, now talk about improbable candidates. I must say that the best the republic. There are two questions here. One is. Do you think there will be any challenger to Donald Trump in the primary? And if so, Larry Hogan from Maryland, really? It's it's interesting. I it, Peter, you're from Maryland? I am. I'll, I'll say this. I'll say this about Larry Hogan. People in Maryland love Larry Hogan. Well, because he had that, cancer. That being said, that being said, that being said, I don't think anybody else outside of Maryland Gives two rips about Larry Hogan. They just don't yeah. care. They could. They if you certainly asked, don't know him. If you asked fifty people outside of Maryland, who's the governor of Maryland? I bet you the majority of them wouldn't couldn't tell you. Oh no, that's easy. Yeah, I think if you asked fifty people in Maryland, <laughs> who's the governor of Maryland, half of them couldn't right. tell you. The thing about Hogan is, you know, you look at someone like Jeff Flake, or you look at someone in the Senate. You know, they voted with. Trump, whatever yes. you want to say, yes. ninety whatever percent of the time, right. L- Hogan hasn't. You know, he's got no, this history right. with his, his dad, who was a, a player in the in the Watergate era, and he, you have a guy who's won bipartisan appeal in his state. Yep. yep, there's just sort of such a hunger among the never Trumper and 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 to the more to the center uh, Republicans, and, and and I think Kasich has decided. Yeah, he's, he's not going to do it. And now he's doing got a job at CNN, right? And uh, he wasn't that great a candidate, anyhow. Let's face it. I mean, I liked his message, but I always thought he was interesting because he's, the profile he had in Congress was so at odds with what he tried to paint himself yeah. as. as a yeah, absolutely, governor. totally. No, yeah, totally. it's like people yeah. would start to they, when you're running third place or whatever in the Republican primary in '16. That doesn't. But once you, if you're the if you're the the opposite of Donald Trump, and you're running against him. I, I think people would start to look at things like that. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, John Kasich is no moderate. No, but I do find the Hogan bubble or the whatever the buzz uh, just interesting because on the national level, he is nowhere, yeah. nobody. Well, right? if you talk, but there ain't nobody else. Yeah, if you and if you talk to the Trump folks, the folks around the Trump campaign. This is their like top concern. This is all they're doing. They're they're going state by state, and they're trying to lock things down for Trump. I mean, they they're doing early endorsements. They're trying to clear the field. They're trying they're trying to move all the levers they have. As Why? Because got- I think we've seen in history when uh, a incumbent president 
faces not some sort of phony challenge out there, but a real challenge. It's caused them a lot of trouble and on both sides of the aisle. So do they see Trump more and more as vulnerable? I think that they see him as potentially vulnerable if he starts to lose his base. And so it's a combination of locking down, you know, it sounds crazy to be talking about delegates right now, but it's a combination of doing sort of that backroom work and making sure that all these folks on the far right and and folks in Trump's camp don't defect because we saw you know Pat Buchanan yeah. was a, yeah. a great example where it, well, it's the it's the base that they that they are concerned about not not anything else yeah and the RNC last weekend voted unanimously yeah. to support Donald Trump in 2020 it's like why so early but I see what you yeah and the You're RNC to... sort of become joined at the hip with the campaign they basically yeah. forged Absolutely. forces there's no separation so follow at Politico.com. Follow Chris Catalago and his good odd colleagues here to keep up on 2020. Thanks for coming in, Chris. Thank you so much. Jordan Fabian He's from The, the Hill Bill coming Press up next. Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hey, the Metro was a little more crowded yesterday. Federal employees back to work with a big backlog of things to catch up on and waiting for the back pay to arrive. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, The Bill Press Show here on a big Tuesday, Tuesday, January 29th. And in the Trump era, there's no such no such thing as a slow news day. Uh, today being no exception, um, Congress is still trying to get back to work. Federal employees are back to work again, facing a huge big backlog, uh, and um, Congress trying to get on with some other stuff. But meanwhile, uh, over the hanging over everybody is this fact that we are only in a temporary reopening of the government, and Donald Trump is saying the same thing during this so far that he said for the last 35 days, uh, give me my $5.7 billion for the wall or I'm going to shut down the government yet again or maybe declare an emergency declaration. And Roger Stone makes his way to Washington today to appear in federal court. Of course, the White House doesn't want to talk about that because it has nothing to do with the president or the White House. Uh, Jordan Fabian keeps him busy. In fact, Big briefing yesterday, Jordan. I mean, whoa. First one in 41 days. Uh, one a month. Can you take it? <laughs> Can you handle it? <laughs> Can I have to block out my schedule, Bill? <laughs> <laughs> Rest up in between briefings. Oh, yeah. First one in 41 days. Is that what it was? That's Another, right. Yeah. The last one was December 18, I think. Yes. Yeah, because I was there. Didn't make it yesterday. It's good to see you. Jordan Fabian covers the White House for The Hill, thehill.com. 
Uh, and we've got lots to talk about, and you have lots you want to comment on on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, but first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez continues to revolutionize not only politics, but social media. If you or follow AOC, her, as we call or it. AOC, sure, yeah. If you follow her on Instagram, you know that she does lots of different Instagram stories or Instagram live videos. She'll do recipes. They'll have the camera on her while she's cooking. She shows a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff in Congress. And yesterday, she actually had an Instagram story about her skincare routine. She says that skincare is actually a hobby of hers, and she shared some of her tips for how she stays or keeps her, her skin so good-looking. She says she actually enjoys the science of it. She reads about compounds and studies. But in terms of the step-by-step process, she says cleanse, moisturize, wear sunscreen, use toners uh, and actives like vitamin C and retinol, and try your best not to sleep in your makeup and try not to use products that contain alcohol. Keep that in mind before you go through your skincare routine, Bill. This is TMI. (laughs) (laughs) Self-care, man. I believe that's what the millennials call it. I'm, you know, I'm all about a self-care or a skincare routine. I, I take my skincare routine very serious, Bill, as you okay, can tell. well, you and AOC. As you can tell, yeah, exactly. Peter, please don't tweet out your skincare don't routine. Don't worry. Okay? Right. Don't worry. But I do think alcohol may be um, have something to do with your skincare routine. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Unlike AOC. Exactly. the opposite approach. <laughs> Let's go to London, where there is a new hotel, the Hilton Hotel in London, the Hilton London Bankside. And they have a suite inside the hotel. It features a large bedroom, a sitting area, and a bathroom. Here's the thing, though. It is a completely vegan hotel suite. It is the world's first vegan hotel suite. So what does that mean, of course? Well, there is no leather. There is no cotton. There is no no feathers. They don't use any of that stuff. It's it's all animal-friendly products. In fact, they have a vegan-friendly leather alternative called Pinatrex that is... uh, made from fibers sourced from wasted pineapple leaves. God. So if you're a vegan and you want to really commit to the lifestyle. I I just think of vegan being some stuff you eat. No animal products at all. At all. No leather, no feathers, no nothing. All right. Not for me. This is the Bill Press Show. Maybe it's cold outside. Uh, maybe the coldest ever in Chicago. Uh, saw last night the weather people predicting it could go as low as minus 50 degrees in Chicago. It's all of our good friends out there on WCPT. We feel for you. Stay warm somehow. Uh, maybe go to the South Pole if you want to get a little warmer. It could be colder in Chicago than it is at the South Pole. Wow. Uh, and we're looking for like 10 degrees here in Washington, D.C. That's almost tropical compared to uh, what they're expecting in Chicago. Hey, great to see you today on this Tuesday, January 29, the Bill Press Show live from our nation's capital. With all the news of the day, joining you online, on the radio, on television, coast to coast. Uh, with our good friend Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for The Hill, thehill.com. 
where you can find my column today about Donald Trump and the uh, shutdown. Go to thehill.com. And hello, Jordan. Good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. So um, what inspired Sarah Huckabee Sanders to have a briefing yesterday, uh, the first one, as you pointed out, in 41 days? Well, the shutdown's over, number one, but uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I know that they were uh, they were planning to get out there uh, last week at some point, and then, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> the, the, you know, the president had his tweet about the uh, the, the briefings being no good. Yeah. yeah. So, oh, right. Uh, you know, Sarah, Sarah treated so badly, and and that's why we don't have briefings anymore. So they uh, they pushed it back even further, and then uh, yesterday yeah. was the day. Well, I was I thought um, that you know, last starting last fall, it's been one a month. Yeah. And so I thought that they might get through January without having one. Almost did. Almost did. It was, it was a close call. Yeah. But uh, 28th was the day. Does this so? Does this look like the new normal? One a month. I, it's, if you look back at the patterns, it's hard to say it's not the new normal. And it's. I think it's unfortunate for not just for us in the press, but for everybody else. Uh, there's a lot of questions uh, that go unanswered every day in that White House. And I know Sarah Huckabee Sanders and those folks would say that by having the president available and by doing those informal gaggles they do on the driveway after TV appearances that they're, you know, doing their they're doing their job and answering questions. But uh, as you know, Bill, covering multiple White Houses, that's just not the case. And, and there's many, many questions on many topics the White House doesn't address on a daily basis. No, I've been told by one of the senior people there that uh, don't need briefings because the president stops and talks to reporters when he's on his way to Marine One. And I've been a part of a couple of those gaggles. That's not the same thing. Personal, no, you're shouting over people, each shouting other. over the the helicopter for one, right? Yes, yeah, and and he can barely hear what we're asking, and, and really, also the the type of question you ask Sarah Huckabee Sanders is is different than the type of question you'd ask President Trump. Um, you you're not going to dig deep on on Venezuela uh, with the president. You might ask him some top level uh, question about what's what's going on there, but uh, it, there's like all kinds of topics like that that just don't come up when you're asking the president face-to-face or when you have to shout over 20 colleagues on, on a driveway when the helicopter rotors are, are spurring. Right, and he is free to turn around and walk away at any point, which he does, or walk down the line at any point, which he does, right? Yes. Uh, and and you can't really follow through and probe uh, uh, and get an answer. So. Um, Yesterday, uh, a couple of big things did come up. Um, Venezuela, for one, um, new sanctions announced by John Bolton uh, at the briefing on Venezuela. Um, And the big story really was that John Bolton had his pad in hand. And on the pad (laughs) was written in his handwriting, 5,000 troops to Colombia. Yes. (laughs) Did he let the cat out of the bag? What's going on? I I almost feel like that was intentional, right? Because it's so it was so yeah. crazy. But uh, you know, a lot of we asked the White House what, what's going on with that, or, or is the U.S. actually sending five thousand troops to Colombia? And, and the answer was uh, uh, paraphrasing: you know, all options are still on the table. So, right. uh, I know there was a report out there by NBC News that uh, <laughs> there is in fact no plan to send five thousand troops to Colombia, but. Uh, as as you know, the the Pentagon and the White House haven't always been on the same page. So, uh, you know, the White House really trying to keep its cards close to the vest here. But what's clear is they're trying to their hardest to really force out Nicolas Maduro from power and uh, put in uh, Juan Guido mm-hmm. uh, in there as the president. So uh, all of these moves that you're going to see from the administration going forward 
you know, keep that in mind. That's that's kind of the play here for them. And Donald Trump himself has said all options on the table, right? Yes, and and if you remember, I think it was last year, the year before, he had this. Uh, he was at Benminster at, at his golf club, and he was asked about Venezuela, and, and he floated a military option for Venezuela, and that confused a lot of people. Um, and a lot of people you talk to right now, regional experts, just say it's not practical or, or really even productive for the U.S. to send troops to Venezuela, and they think it's very unlikely. Uh, but again, th- this president and this White House, it's, it's always hard to rule something out 100%. Well, isn't there, isn't that sort of a pattern? I mean, these threats, I'm going to, I'll, I'll do this or I could do this, and you never really know, which leads to the latest on the wall. I mean, this emergency declaration, he keeps throwing out there, hanging out there. And yet, if it's a real emergency, he hasn't done anything, right, to address the emergency. Uh, didn't in the first shutdown, and now he's saying if we don't get the money in three weeks, again, could have an emergency declaration. Is it because they're afraid that could not stand up in the courts, or what do you what do you hear? From? Well, the, the ironic, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely a concern that uh, you know, if, if this gets struck down, by the courts, the, the view in the White House is that th- this would be uh, the emergency declaration would be kind of an easy way out of the crisis, where you can say to your supporters, "Well, I tried my hardest for the wall," and then the court blocks, and then you kind of throw up your hands and move on. Uh, but but the people there, and you know, the president in particular, really do want to build a wall. So you know they they kind of view that as an easy way out, and that's why they're trying to go through Congress. But ironically, if they end up do having to do this emergency de- declaration by holding out for so long, you know, some legal experts are saying that's going to actually hurt their case even more in a court because they, they would say, like you just pointed out, Bill, yeah. that if this is such an emergency, you would have acted right away to address it. Right. So where, uh, from what we've heard, uh, and you were there Friday and, and comments since, it doesn't seem that the president has moved at all meaning his position today is the same that it was during the shutdown, which is $5.7 billion. Temp- maybe, well, we could add in the temporary protection for DREAMers. Uh, and absent that, without that, shutdown or emergency declaration, right? Is there... Is yeah, it, the president, you're right, Bill. The, the president doesn't... Movement? Well, yeah, he, he doesn't seem to have changed his negotiating position. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you saw the interview he did with the Wall Street Journal, but... <clears throat> you know, he said, yeah. I, I doubted if I would come off the, the $5.7 right. billion number. Uh, the, the difference is this time around, it's going to be in the hands of this congressional committee, this bipartisan committee. And this is not going to be a deal that's worked out between President Trump and Nancy Pelosi. So what, what, what might happen here is you have this committee try to split the difference and, and try to get a deal that they think both sides will um, accept and, and really try to railroad the president with this and use the deadline of February 15th to say, hey, this is it, take it or leave it. You know, Look how well the last shutdown went for you. Do you want to go down that road again? So the, the negotiating dynamic is different, but publicly, yes, right now, the president has not changed his position on the wall. Right. Do, um, I saw this morning that the, the one of the sites that inside the Trump campaign, they believe the shutdown was a big positive for the president. Is that the feeling in the White House? Because if you look at most of the public opinion polls, show just the opposite. 
So are they living in the real world or in the, a world of denial there? I mean, I think some people in the president's inner circle, the Jared Kirshens of the world, uh, think this was, like, wasn't so bad and they really got to make their, their case. But but there, there are a lot of people in the White House who really think this was damaging uh, and understand that the president shut down the government for 35 days and really didn't get anything for it. And they saw the political damage that was inflicted. Um, that being said, uh, you know there are there's some people in the campaign. I saw that report who are trying to convince the president and trying to buck up his spirits that it's, everything's not so bad. Although if you read that story, the the, the poll they were using was a, a poll of ten Republican leaning districts that yeah, show yeah. the majority of people there still blamed him for the shutdown, but that they the uh, the number of people who believe the wall is needed uh, went up somewhat. I mean mm-hmm. that that's really not a lot to hang your hat on. Uh, yet for some reason, there are people in the campaign who believe this is the the smoking gun that shows the shutdown actually wasn't so bad for the president. Uh, in terms of normalcy and the new normal and a pattern of behavior, um, we've seen during the 35 days, there were very few events on the president's schedule, uh, every, daily schedule. Yesterday, he had one event, lunch with Mike Pence. I know in the evening he went over to the Trump Hotel. Did we ever find out why? Yeah, he was doing a fundraiser for the the, uh, reali- uh, the, the campaign, basically. Oh, yeah. okay. But that wasn't announced, <clears throat> strangely. But no. uh, uh, at any rate, he slipped over there last night. Otherwise, on the daily schedule, there's one event. Today, on the daily schedule, there are no events. So, I mean, is he spending all of his time on this wall? Well, I, that that's what a lot of his allies are concerned about is – you know he's he's made the position on the wall very clear, but he's not using his bully pulpit to advance his cause. Like you said during the during the shutdown, he went down to the border, he did the Oval Office yeah, address, right? But that was it. I mean, and, and he yeah. really spent the first three weeks of the shutdown holed up in the White House doing nothing. Um, so a lot and, of people and kind of whining about it, right? Here right. I am, yes. oh, Nancy Pelosi's in Hawaii, all on all on the White House, looking yeah. at the big men with Secret Service uh, guns on the yeah, on yeah. the driveway. Right. Right. Uh, you know, but it, it's it, but a lot of his allies who I talked to really viewed that as, as a lost opportunity because uh, while he was holed up at the White House, he was this whole shutdown fight was getting defined without him with the Democrats. Uh, essentially playing that comment on loop that he would be proud to shut down the government. And uh, and now, yet again, you know we're, we're in this three-week period, and uh, it's not clear right now to us what the strategy is for the White House to uh, advance, advance its argument and try to uh, win that money. Uh, Jordan Fabian with us from The Hill, thehill.com, your best source of what's going on here in Washington uh, at the um – uh, at the White House or down at the Congress uh, and uh, anywhere and in the agencies, it's all there uh, on the Hill. Um, so, Jordan, way back um, when I was uh, just a lad <laughs> working for uh, Governor Jerry Brown, his first term in California, I remember um, often we'd be in the governor's office and we'd be debating something or whatever, and, uh, and, and Jerry would like turn to me or to somebody and say, and you better not be writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> Don't put that in any book, right? Uh, so Donald Trump apparently has not said that to his aides, <laughs> particularly not to Cliff Sims, who's out with this book. Have you had a chance to see it yet? I've seen a lot of the excerpts, Bill, and uh, it's 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 very interesting. Is it I mean, nest of vipers. Is that yeah, what? team of vipers. Team I think of it was. vipers. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so um, it, it's, uh, it paints a White House in total dis- disarray. Right. Yeah, it does. And I I think the the goal of it was really to sort of paint the team around Trump as sort of a yeah. and you know, sort of a but not him, group huh? but not him, but it, but a lot of this blows back on him in the book if of you course. yeah, a lot of it does. I mean, you you uh you know, like the way he describes the the president uh sort of you know in the in the private dining room watching television fuming uh you know not ready for meetings uh you know winging it all the time and especially there's an excerpt about the call with the, the space shuttle astronauts or or excuse me the uh the space station astronauts and he he makes it in with like 30 seconds to spare because he was just going on some rant about how we should have people on Mars yesterday you know it's it, it's just wild and uh and I can tell you that the you know, people in the White House aren't happy about it. Uh, the you know, Cliff Sims, when he was there, kind of didn't have a great reputation among like uh, other staffers. He did not have a great no. big job, did he? He, well, was... he? he was the direct. His title was director of message strategy, but what re- would really involved was handling the weekly address of the White House and you know, oh, staffing right. the president for that, which. It's not a huge job, but it, it sort of. But he was. You know, he's he's right. I mean, he was with the president a lot, and so. Uh, I think that in, in, a, in a White House where you're closest to the boss is, is the prime currency, uh, there was a lot of jealousy there about the number, the amount of time that he spent with the president. Right, right. Uh, and um, I mean, it, but in a in a sense, it reflects. It seemed to me, I, and I haven't seen it yet either. I'm supposed to get a copy any day now um, from the publisher, uh, Tom Dunn, who's my publisher. Um, but that it reflects what we learned, heard about the White House from uh, Bob Woodward in Fear and Michael Wolff in his book as well, right? I mean, it's a pretty pretty chaotic situation down there. Yeah, yeah. And, and what's remarkable, too, is <laughs> about this book in particular is uh, it, it, it does a lot of score settling and a lot oh, of yeah. – rec- uh. it's a lot of recrimination – with maybe an ounce of self-awareness and and contrition. You know, the other thing that I think is so interesting about this book is remember, you know, early in Trump's presidency, he was obsessed with leaking and obsessed with leakers. And we're going to find the leakers. We're going to get these leakers. We're going to prosecute these leakers and all that. And it turns out that the people that are leaking are Kellyanne Conway. Well, according to Cliff Sims, Kellyanne Conway, number one. The biggest one. one. Number one. And I, I think that there are a lot of people very who, who Donald Trump considers to be very, very close to him are the ones who are leaking everything. It's not like, you know, rogue staffers. In terms of core settling, score settling, rather, <laughs> uh, Cliff Sims certainly had a score to settle with Kellyanne Conway. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's an anecdote in there about uh, he's writing a statement for her on her personal laptop uh, to push back against reports that she was leaking, and then meanwhile there's iMessages popping up on the screen from her texting reporters negative <laughs> stuff about Steve Bannon and Ryan Spreebus. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's amazing. She's, he's actually sitting in her office doing that. Right? I don't know how the writers of Veep are going to top uh, you know, this season of uh, Trump White House. L- literally. I mean, that that that, that no. is a Veep storyline. It's, so, it's unbelievable. It is. So. Uh, one other topic that came up, uh, we got a little clip here from Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Uh, she was asked about what's going to be a big event in Washington today. The circus comes to town with Roger Stone showing up in the federal courthouse. So uh, Sarah Huckabee said, what's the president think about this? 
In Roger Stone's case, the charges of that indictment have literally nothing to do uh, with the president and have to do with his communications with Congress. Roger Stone, nothing to do with Donald Trump. Yeah, not not quite. Uh, this is somebody who is was and and is in touch with the president uh, frequently. Yeah, like thirty years or so, he's been Donald Trump's a political advisor. Yes, and, yeah. and and if you read the indictment, uh, what he lied about is is stuff that was very much involved the Trump campaign, which was uh, using intermer- intermediaries to find out what. WikiLeaks had as far as the emails they stole the Russia stole from Democrats and was passed to WikiLeaks and then communicating with top people on the Trump campaign about said emails and when they would be released and what would be in them. So, you know, and this this is uh yeah, the people named or not named in the indictment, but the people cited are senior Trump campaign officials. So, yeah. the, you know, this this has to do with the uh, highest reaches of the Trump campaign according to federal prosecutors. So, uh, you know, to say this has nothing to do with the president uh, you know, while while maybe technically you could argue that it, it just doesn't really pass the smell test, right? And 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 the little gem in that indictment is, is that an individual unnamed instructed a senior campaign official to contact Roger Stone after the first reports of Roger Stone's connections with WikiLeaks came out to find out what more they had or what more was coming, right? And who those senior campaign individual, who the senior individual or the senior campaign official, we don't know. Uh, right. And, and speculate, the, but certainly it was the, as you point out, the Donald Trump campaign. Yes. And, and you know, I know Sarah has been asked whether the president was the person who directed uh, the senior officials on the campaign to reach out to Roger Stone about WikiLeaks. Uh, she has essentially dismissed the question. Uh, repeated the line that it's nothing to do with Russia, nothing to do with Trump. Uh, but we not heard from the president himself on this topic. So, uh, you know, he, we were with him on Friday, uh, the day where, when this yeah, all went down, right. uh, he was shouted many questions about the shutdown and Roger Stone. He answered the questions about the shutdown. He did not answer the questions about Roger Stone. Hmm. Uh, the other uh, uh, item that is in the news in terms of foreign, po- on the foreign policy front, we've talked about Venezuela, the new sanctions on Venezuela, uh, the keeping the military option open. Um, Afghanistan, news that um, the United States negotiators have reached a very tentative framework of a deal with the Tal- Taliban, um, which would end up, result in the, um, if it goes through, withdrawing of American troops from Afghanistan. Everybody points out that there's a long way to go before it gets to that point. But this is something the president talked about oh, President Obama talked about wanting to do, was unable to do so. Now 17 years in Afghanistan. Is this a Trump priority, and are we going to see troops uh, out of Afghanistan and Syria both? Uh, I, I still think in Afghanistan we're a long way from that point. Uh, it seems like the, there's been some significant progress in the talks with the Taliban, but uh, there are some major hangups, which is you know the Taliban negotiating directly with the Afghan government which and they've ag- refused to do so far, right? Yeah, and agreeing to a ceasefire, which they've also refused to do. So, right. uh, those seem to me like major hangups. And if those aren't agreed to, um, it seems like this framework for peace talks could fall apart very quickly. Um, that being said, it is notable that you know, these talks have been on again, off again for nine years. And so, the fact that they finally have some kind of breakthrough with a you know tentative deal in place 
is is significant. So uh, this is something to watch, and and I don't think we should discount the fact that the president you know, has said that he wants to get U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. So he may be very determined, even if this deal doesn't uh, come to fruition. You know, maybe he says, "You know, screw it, I, I'm just going to take them out anyway." That didn't stop him in Syria. Uh, you know, he basically took troops out of Syria on the word of uh, Turkish President Erdogan, who, right. as we know, is not the most reliable actor. Uh, don't I remember that Donald Trump, like Barack Obama, did send some more troops last year into Afghanistan? Yeah, they did. Under under uh, James Mattis, the defense secretary, they did right. boost the numbers and, there a bit, uh, but and, it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know huge like surge like numbers. Right, and also in context, um, it, this is now a time when the Taliban um, controls more territory in Afghanistan than they have in a long time. I mean, they've been increasing the amount of territory. That they that they control, so they're um, uh, a lot of people are, are skeptical about their living up to the to their part of the agreement if we withdraw all of our troops there. And Syria, where are we now? I mean, the, when the president announced uh, su- surprise everybody by saying we're getting out of Syria, it was within thirty days we'll be out. He's since changed his mind. Is that just an open ended question now? Yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to tell where, where that stands really. I, I, the so the pre, the Pentagon has gone ahead with plans to start withdrawing troops. I mean, they've moved ships into the region. They've started to you know prepare logistically to pull out. Uh, but right now, we haven't seen those major troop movements yet. And they did revise that timeline uh, to to four months. But then yeah. John Bolton came out and said, "Well, it's going to depend on conditions on the ground." And and then we haven't heard much from the president about this since he first announced it. So you, he he didn't give a major speech to the American people as you usually do when you know the president usually does when you know yeah, there's a major right. troop movement. So we really don't know a lot of the details here. And and his staff is maybe out of confusion, maybe out of secrecy, not shared a whole lot of details with us. So we just don't know exactly. How what those levels are at right now, and and when that major withdrawal is going to happen? Right. Uh, it, it's always amazing that the things that Donald mm. Trump um, ends up tweeting about, um, some things that you would think a president of the United States might just ignore, um, doesn't happen with Donald Trump. <laughs> and I'm particularly thinking about his tweet yesterday about Howard Schultz. Uh, so Howard Schultz, go to. They say, telling everybody he's maybe going to run as an independent centrist. Uh, but Donald Trump could not resist coming out to say, I forget the exact word, but basically saying he didn't have the guts to run. And I just hope that he's up to date on the rent that he's paying me in Trump Tower for <laughs> that little Starbucks up on the uh, mezzanine level of Trump Tower, where, which I've been to, I, by the way. I, I have this tweet uh, here, by the way. I just oh, want yeah. to read it. You, you, you're pretty much spot on. Howard Schultz doesn't have the, quote, guts to run for president. Watched him on 60 Minutes last night, and this was yesterday, last night, and I agree with him that he is not the smartest person. Besides, America already has that. (laughs) I only hope that Starbucks is still paying me their rent in Trump Tower. Right. There it is. I mean, so much in one tweet. So much in one tweet. I guess... You know, to ask the question why after two years, maybe we shouldn't even be asking. Well, I think question. he's trying to goad Howard Schultz into the race. I think he thinks the president thinks yep. it'd be good for him uh, because a lot of people think that 
Howard yeah. Schultz will pull support from Democrats and not not his voters. Absolutely, count me in on that. I think it's a crazy. I mean, I hate the idea of his running as an independent, assuming he could get on the ballot in all fifty states. Right. So, so by definition, Trump would love it. Yeah. And there, there you have it. And you can, <laughs> and he has to get that little bit in there about. He thinks he's smart. You haven't yeah. seen smart. You've already got the <laughs> smartest person in the world. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing is not going to change, right, is the Twitter. No, the no, tweet. that's not going away. Multiple people have tried to stop it, but it's not going to stop. And 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 two, at least two chiefs of staff have tried to stop it. Exactly. And Mick Mulvaney says, go right ahead. <laughs> he says, go right ahead. <laughs> you know what? Which is very smart because... What can you do about it, right? Exactly. And and he's seen, you know, Mulvaney and, and other folks have seen what's happened to their predecessors when they've tried to stop that or rein in the president. So they've decided, uh, hey, you know, I'm by the way, anybody, any political, smart political Republican, you have to understand there is no reining him in. Mm-hmm. They're just, it's just not going to happen. Every, I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody thinks that they're going to be different and they're going to be the ones to change it, but it's just not going to happen. You know, I'm curious. Is um, Mulvaney still acting chief of staff? Yes, yes, he is. So we have an acting chief of staff. I think we have an acting attorney general. We have an acting interior secretary. Yes, defense secretary. Uh, acting defense secretary. acting EPA director too. Did he get? No, I think he. I did think he get confirmed? He was, Wheeler. I'm not sure. He was no, confirmed, he's. But he, I think he was named. He was nominated. Nominated. Okay, yes. okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah. As as director or administrator, not acting. Yes. I don't know who else may be acting. I think that covers it. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It feels like we're missing one, but I think that might be it. Yeah. First acting first lady? <laughs> or no, <laughs> She's acting all right. <laughs> oh, Jordan, what a what a hotbed you've got. I'm telling you. Great it's uh, never a dull day down at the Trump Absolutely White House. Absolutely not. So. All right. Well, enjoy whatever today brings, and thanks for coming in. Thanks, Bill. Again, follow Jordan and all of our good friends at The Hill at The Hill, thehill.com, and check out my column for today. Uh, federal employees getting back to work. Uh, what has the, been the cost of that shutdown? What do they face today, and what might they face on February 15th? Jackie Simon is a policy director for the American Federation of Government Employees. She will join us next to tell us all about it. This is The Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, January 29 of the Bill Press Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Whether you're joining us online on the radio or on television, it's good to have you with us as we uh, boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., joining you all across this land, coast to coast, and brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women. Of the AFGE, the largest uh, federal employees union under the leadership of President J. David Cox, they are back to work now, fulfilling their mission of um, providing many, many services for uh, all of us Americans. We're grateful for their work and thank them for their the great job that they do, particularly their support of the Bill Press Show. Check out their website at afge.org. Uh, to hear their stories about um, what they've been through, what they face now, and what they fear might happen on February 15. Uh, you can also hear that right now from the policy director for the AFGE, uh, Jackie Simon, who joins us in studio. Nice to see you again, Jackie. Nice to see you, too. Thanks Thank for Thank you for coming me. in. 
Uh, don't be afraid of that microphone. We'll get okay. you a little closer to it. Okay. Uh, we'll roll up a little bit there. But before we jump in, uh, I want to uh, take a look at uh, all of our viewers and listeners commenting so far on things we've been talking about. Peter? Yes, indeed. Let's go to Twitter where we are there, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, we were talking a lot about 2020 with uh, one of our previous guests, Christopher Catalago. Uh, Phil says, my five-year-old is listening and just said, Bernie Sanders is a grump. <laughs> Look, Bernie Sanders is kind of a grump. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but sometimes grumps have good policy. Exactly. And good positions and good politics, and Bernie does. Yeah, so. Okay. Yes, exactly. Uh, also, people really like. He, also, he plays that monster game. Remember, he used to play. Oh, a monster. Monster with his, with his grandkids. <laughs> That's so. right. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, lots of people reacting to Howard Schultz, none of them positively, by the way. Psy uh, Guy says Howard Schultz is welcome to run for president. But only if he runs as a Republican. <laughs> if being elected president is really his goal, then he has an obvious path. Run against Trump in the GOP primaries. And if for any reason Trump does not run in 2020, then they'll have Howard Schultz. Except Shh. he's been a Democrat all his life. So yeah. my response would be, no, Howard, run as a Democrat. Yeah, if you're going to run, just just run as a Democrat. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Uh, make sure you find us uh, on Twitter, at BP Show. BP Show. We're checking your comments all throughout the day. All right. Thank you, Peter. Jackie Simon, it's good to be back to work. Uh, well, we've been working nonstop throughout the shutdown, but uh, for our members, they are very, very happy to be back to work. Um, yesterday, I'm sure you heard from a lot of them. I mean, there are pictures in the. Uh, sorry, Peter. I just have to interrupt. Really, I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, uh, uh -oh. we, we do have a little bit of breaking news on CBS this morning. Jeff Flake was on and announced that he will not run for president in 2020. No surprise. Yeah, but hmm. Will not. Um, when Donald Trump tweeted yesterday about Howard Schultz not having the guts to run, I think that may not be true about Howard Schultz, but it is true about Jeff Flake, and he just showed it, not having the guts to run. Thank you. So uh, I mentioned, uh, uh, started, Jackie, that there were pictures in the New York Post, New York Times, and the, uh, maybe the Post, I didn't see it, the New York Times and the Washington Post this morning, of uh, the Metro's. Uh, stations here, particularly where the federal buildings are, Federal Triangle and L'Enfant Plaza, um, packed with employees getting back to work. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to get back to work. Oh, there's no question about that. Um, you know, one of the points that, uh, you know, we made over and over again throughout the shutdown that I think few people realize is that um, about 85 percent of federal employees work outside the Washington, Baltimore metropolitan area. However, there is a, a large concentration here in this area. Yeah, and right. um, uh, during the shutdown, um, you know, people who were forced to work without pay were also most of that time working without their transit subsidies. So they had no money to pay for Metro. They had no transit subsidy. So they weren't using Metro, <laughs> those who were forced to work without pay. And what happened to all the work that they were supposed to be doing while they were furloughed? Well, they're going to have to start getting to it now. I mean, there's massive backlogs in every agency. Just piled up, huh? Absolutely. Right. And um, what is the latest word on um, back pay? Uh, They've got two paychecks they missed, right? Yes. And if all goes according to, to plan, people will receive sometime over the next few days uh, pay in their, in their uh 
bank accounts that will reflect all of the monies that are owed um, from two pay periods. Uh, and what are you doing to make sure that happens? Well, um, well, I guess I, I should say that if it doesn't happen, um, I suppose there could be litigation, but uh, there's not really anything we can do to make it happen. Um, starting in the George W. Bush administration, um, federal agencies created these so-called shared service providers. And so um, there was, uh, when once upon a time, there was payroll processing in every agency uh-huh. and an HR department in every agency. Now they're concentrated just in a few agencies. And one of the biggest ones is the National Finance Center, which is part of the Department of Agriculture, uh, which, of course, was shut down. Shut down, um, yeah. However, because uh, the different agencies pay for this function through fees, there was still money to keep the uh, finance center operating. So uh, they weren't completely shut down. They're not suddenly starting up again like so many other uh, departments and right. programs are. So they knew it, it should work. They knew at some point that they were going to have to catch people up on their pay. So they, they had a process in, in place. And hopefully yeah. that will all be you know, lined up, all they need to do is push the button and the checks will roll. It's unlikely to be perfect. Uh, People will probably have some inaccuracies in their pay, uh, including uh, uh, various kinds of premium pay, Mm -hmm. hazardous duty pay, overtime pay, that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll certainly work to make sure that every dime owed anybody is paid. Um, it's just that the uh, the paycheck that people will receive in the next several days might not be perfectly accurate. So um, what do you hear from your members? I mean, they don't make that much money to begin with, and they probably don't have that much money in the bank uh, in terms of savings or a rainy day fund they can lean back on. Um, how did they survive a month without a paycheck? It was very, very uh, difficult for many of our members, um, particularly uh, transportation security officers at TSA, uh, some of the lowest paid federal employees, not the very lowest paid. I I always want to um, remind people that, you know, with the, the fight for 15 and higher minimum wage, uh, there are many, many hourly federal employees who make barely more than the minimum wage. Um, Seven, thousands, which is still seven twenty-five an hour. Right. Uh, thousands who make under $10 an hour. They work in uh, military installations, canteens and, and VA hospitals, laundry, cemetery workers, people who are very, very low paid. Um, but among those who were directly affected by this shutdown, uh, transportation security officers were among their salaried, and they're among the lowest salaried federal employees. And they make anywhere from, you know, thirty to $40,000, depending on how long they've been there and, and what city they're in. And they certainly had no cushion. Um, they are, without a doubt, um, like the majority of American workers, living paycheck to paycheck with little or no savings. Um, they were the ones who were standing in lines at food banks. Uh, they were the ones having a hard time, you know, scraping together bus fare. Uh, they were the ones at risk of being evicted out of their apartments uh, because they literally could not pay their rent. And, um, you know, there were big stories about banks and credit unions and uh, letters from OPM telling uh, landlords to be uh, to be mm-hmm. kind. But needless to say, most were not kind. They were anything but kind. They wanted their money, and they really weren't interested in any kind of excuses. I, I, I found that to be one of the more baffling uh, 
defenses from the Trump administration. Oh, Donald yeah. Trump just, saying, just go to the bank. The banks are willing to work with you. The landlords are willing to work with you. The yeah, lenders right. on every level. And the grocery to... store. And the, gro- and the grocery store. And like, yeah. I think he thinks no. that we live in like an Andy Griffith episode. Yeah. yeah. Wilbur you know? Ross. I don't understand. Yeah. I understand. I'm a billionaire. I can get a loan easily. I don't understand why they can't. It's so out of touch. I saw a story the other day that most Americans, a an expense of, an unexpected expense of $500. Five, that's it. Can't make it. $500 yeah, right. would absolutely upend their lives, and they right. don't have that kind of money. Right. But there's, I mean, the numbers are overwhelming. There's no question about that. And also, um, the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program in recent years has become very unaffordable uh, for for um, many federal employees. And so, as a result, you know, they've they've introduced these super high deductible plans with four and five thousand uh, dollar annual deductibles. Mm. So God mm-hmm. forbid you got sick or had a hospital visit or emergency room visit or needed expensive medication. Um, you know, the insurance doesn't c- kick in until you spend out of pocket several thousand. January was the beginning of a new uh, a new contract year. And uh, try try paying for those health care costs uh, without a paycheck, right. um, earning $40,000 a year. It was it was outrageous. So those were some of the most heart-rending calls that I got, uh, people who couldn't pay for medication. Right. Um, now, well, before we move on to February 15th, um, I saw a story yesterday, the cost, I mean, this, actually, this, this cost, the the economy mm-hmm. lost a lot of money over the shutdown. The There's no question I saw, about that. $11 billion. Yeah, I think that's a very, uh, a very, very conservative estimate. Uh, the 2013 um, shutdown, which was much shorter, uh, was is pretty widely uh, uh, recognized to have cost $24 billion. Whoa. Uh, so the numbers that... And that was uh, a lot... Sh- yeah, as you it say, was a much lot shorter. shorter. Right. So the number that uh, Larry Kudlow was poo-pooing <laughs> yesterday... Um, because he didn't believe in it. It's not like a matter of faith. It's a matter of math. But in any case, uh, I think it's a it's a huge understatement. Um, you know, uh, small businesses that rely on uh, the, you know, the patronage of, of federal employees and their families, um, you know, everything from, <laughs> you know, nail salons to, to small uh, restaurants and yeah. cabs and everything like that, those are the ones that get the most attention. Uh, but you know the these are economic transactions that will will never be restored. Um, it was very very costly for many people, and and the idea that that uh, CBO can you know tie it up in a knot and say eleven billion uh, is is I, I think really uh, understating the uh, cost. Right. Um, so to get his twenty five point seven. Uh, twenty five whatever it's going to cost for the wall, I think it'll be a lot more than that. Uh, Donald Trump might have blown a lot more with this with this one shutdown, and now this is only a temporary retrieve. So these people are coming back um, with any certainty only until February 15, when this legislation runs out. Um, what do you anticipate happening on February 15? It's hard to know with this president um, and this Congress. Uh, I, you know, I, your guess is as good as mine. Obviously, I've read the same things as you have about the possibility that he'll uh, declare a national emergency. Um, I, I'm certainly hoping that there won't be another shutdown. I think that 
I think everybody involved um, on Capitol Hill anyway and uh, recognized that it was a very, very bad experience. Well, you have um, uh, your representatives on the Hill. I'm sure they, they have to. They talk to Democratic legislators as well as Republican legislators. Um, Republicans, I mean, privately must not want another shutdown either. I, I think that's correct. I think there was a, a strong sense that the reason that Mitch McConnell was so reluctant <laughs> about holding a vote was that he knew that on December 19th, uh, the, the Republican Senate voted unanimously by voice vote right. for the bill that passed the House. He knew mm-hmm. there was broad support, and he didn't want to expose uh, President Trump to that kind of a, a, an embarrassment. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's broad support. And uh, remember, these are Republican appropriations bills. <laughs> these bills reflect the spending priorities and spending amounts of a Republican Congress, a Republican House and a Republican Senate. They were written last year. Uh, mm-hmm. They are not uh, they do not have any kind of uh, spending priorities that uh, the Democrats probably would have included in appropriations bills had they been in control of of the House or the Senate. Right. And reportedly, um, last Friday or Thursday, maybe, uh, the day before he made uh, the announcement that he was ending the um, shutdown, um, Mitch McConnell told Donald Trump that um, um, we better do something because if this bill comes back up in the Senate, you know, the, the Democrats could get 70 votes or they could get 70, 70 votes for the Democratic plan. Right. Uh, it was embarrassing that the Democratic uh, version got more <coughs> votes than the Republican version on the day bef- on the Thursday. Right. Uh, so um, one of the factors. The in in the um, ending, people were saying, well, how, how did Donald Trump having promised that he would never, never accept anything that did not include the full $5.7 billion down payment for the wall, that he ended up totally caving. Uh, there are several factors. One, we mentioned that Republicans were starting to pull away. Uh, certainly Mitch McConnell may have told him about that. The You mentioned also the Democratic plan got more votes than the Republican plan. And then there was a, at least for an hour, LaGuardia had to shut down operations because there were not enough air traffic controllers on on the job. Which leads me to the question of, first of all, are your members, federal employees, allowed to go out on strike? No. Um, Anybody who goes out on strike as a federal employee is uh, subject to being terminated. Is this Uh, all federal employees? Yeah. Even if they're not deemed essential, right? Yeah. uh, No. No one can go on strike. And... Uh, but I, I, it's not that that uh, the unions have no leverage and and are completely okay. powerless. <laughs> All right. Okay. But but uh, well, that one of the things that we cannot do is go on strike. Okay. Um, so uh, I guess I don't, so the the workers. You're right. They can't go on strike, but the workers still have a lot of power, right? Yes. You have okay. to be creative and you have to be uh, smart. Yeah. Um, and you have to be very unified in your actions, but um, the okay. one action you can't do is a strike. Okay. Um, so uh, there were there are at least there are others other um, trades or jobs, I guess, that could could have had an impact in shutting down the shutdown, uh, shutting uh, in ending the shutdown. But it seemed to me that the ones that really had the power were the uh, 
TSA people, you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, so essential, and the air traffic controllers. And well, if they had picked one airport and stayed out one day, maybe just half of them one day or something, O'Hare or Atlanta or Dulles or, I don't know, or LaGuardia or JFK, they could have ended the shutdown on the second day of the shutdown. Why did it take so long before uh, the TS or the air traffic controllers realized this and stayed home, uh, some of them at least, at LaGuardia? Well, I don't know uh, that it was a sick out in, a, in terms of being a coordinated job action. Um, it may have looked that way, but I'm not so sure that it was. I think that what occurred in the days leading up to that was, you know, our union representing uh, the first line of defense against mm. terrorists um, uh, who might use the, you know, aviation aviation system to mm -hmm. conduct some kind of a of a terrorist attack. Our union sounded the alarm about the importance of. Um, transportation security officers being well-fed, well-rested, without so much stress of how, fearing that they were going to lose their homes, um, unable to mm -hmm. support their families, et cetera, that kind of stress on their ability to carry out their duties uh, to truly protect the flying public. Uh, air traffic controllers released uh, a statement with the exact same message that their members were under so much stress and uh fatigue and worry that was going to be impacting their ability to carry out their security function. Uh, the flight attendants, the pilots, um, the aviation inspectors, all different unions, but all sounding the exact same alarm, blowing the whistle in the exact same way with sort of joint statements and separate statements saying that aviation security and the safety of flying was in jeopardy if this mm -hmm. uh, shutdown continued. I think that had the big impact. Right. We had um, Sarah Nelson, who's the mm -hmm. president of the uh, flight attendants, uh, in a week or so ago, last week, was, was here in studio, sitting right where, where you are. And she was calling, as you know, uh, for um, a one-day. Peter was a one-day one-day walkout, I think. Right? Yeah. A one-day strike. General uh, strike. She was all for it. Yeah. And 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 she and talking to other labor leaders, she said, and trying to get everybody to get behind it. I think what happened was the strike ended before. I mean, the shutdown ended before that could have happened. Well, I think she uh, but, got her message out, and I think that it was a glorious example of union solidarity with the flight attendants, the pilots, the airline inspectors, air traffic controllers, and TSA uh, machinists, everybody saying the exact same thing with, you know, great seriousness. I right. mean, this was not, you yeah. know, no. we weren't, nobody was making this stuff up. It was serious. Right. Look, uh, Nancy Pelosi gets a lot of credit for keeping everything together for the shutdown. But it was the people who had the power. That's what ended the shutdown. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that that's the right answer. It really was that tremendous union solidarity uh, that really uh, everybody recognizes that aviation security is a, a, a delicate web. And it takes all of these different components working together and working well to provide genuine security and safety for the flying public. And uh, when that started to be and ser seriously questioned by the people who know best, then all bets were off. Okay, so then that gets us back to February 15. 
are is that same solidarity like ready to exert itself or show itself uh soon if there were another shutdown god forbid uh rather than wait 35 days it's just right off the bat say no we're going to we're going to make sure this doesn't drag on well i don't know i mean the the solidarity absolutely uh the frayed nerves the worry the stress the uh uh inability to concentrate and perform your job um, was a result of the length of the shutdown. Um, You know, people were at their wits end. They could barely make it to work. They, people are talking, you know, you know, the other thing that nobody talks about, which we hear about um, is, you know, stress creating the circumstances in the house for domestic abuse, uh, 